everybody, and welcome back to Critically Reclaimed, a podcast. My name is William Bibiani. I am a critic. Everybody calls me Bebs. Uh, my name is Whitney Seibold. I, too, am a critic. I don't have a cute nickname. I don't need one. Yeah. I and, am my uh, own man. And uh, this week on Critically Reclaimed, we are joined by our special guest, Wilhelm. <gasps> Wilhelm, no! <laughs> uh, we're joined by a, a very special guest. We're being joined by Stuart Raffle. Well... In spirit, uh, uh, and <laughs> and we've been to Stuart Raffles' house. Yeah, so where, where, where oh the God, man lives? All right, How so, can you forget. Well, there's all there's standing ovation merchandise everywhere. That's true. Anyway, uh, here we we jumped ahead a little bit. Critically reclaimed is the podcast where we look at older movies that are available on streaming services that are often getting overlooked because everyone's only watching the new stuff a lot of the time. Over at our Patreon page, Patreon.com/slash Critically Acclaimed Network, all of our patrons even at the one dollar a month tier get to vote for every episode of critically reclaimed whitney and i pick a streaming service we each pick two films that one or both of us haven't seen before and we let our patrons decide what we're going to review next and on this particular episode of critically reclaimed we decided to head on over to shutter shutter is a streaming service mostly dedicated to horror and horror related films and television uh, a lot of scary movies, some thrillers, the occasional sci-fi action extravaganza, uh, and uh, it, it, it comes as very little surprise that the film that was selected is a film that has become, in recent years, decades after it came and went and no one gave a shit, uh, a rather occult favorite. This is a film starring Denise Richards and Paul Walker called Tammy and the T-Rex. Everything in Tammy's life is just great. But when you're young and in love, life can get very complicated, especially when it involves an insanely jealous creep. That's my lady, all right? Late night phone calls. I want you to come over. Yes! Sneaking around in your own house. Did you lock the door? Don't worry. Your boyfriend getting dumped in a wild animal park. And a crazy doctor. Well, that's it. Who turns out to be a mad scientist. And if you're going to make an omelet, you have to break a few eggs, right? With an insane invention that only needs a brain. But this Tyrannosaurus Rex just wants to be a party animal. Yeah, th this one was rescued from the ash heap. Uh, yeah. It uh, was one of those oddities that, you know, came and went, got bad reviews, nobody cared. Yeah. Uh, and then many, many years later, uh, bad movie aficionados kind of dug it up. Mm -hmm. And it started I making like... its round it rounds at, like, bad movie nights. I, I was actually, I, one of the rare instances in which I was on the cutting edge of this, I had written an article mm -hmm. about Tammy and the T-Rex and why everyone needs to see Tammy and the T-Rex for Blumhouse back when they had, like, their oh, own gosh, yeah, like, horror, was, uh... like, like their own Fangoria-type website. Mm -hmm. And that website no longer exists. Neither does my article, so I have no evidence of that. But I swear uh, it's true. Some of them were up for a while. They changed their name to the 13th floor.tv. Yeah. Which I don't know what that was or what it was supposed to be. Mm -hmm. It's just sort of an, another branding of those things. Yeah. But weirdly, they took anything that was film related off of that site. Yeah. They started focusing. I think they realized that for whatever reason, that particular publication, whenever there was any like real life or like, you know, unsolved mysteries type stuff. 
about true, like, like urban legends animals, or yeah, true crime, like anything serial like, killers, that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was the stuff that found an audience very, very quickly. So they doubled down on it. Mm. I get it. It makes sense. It's it's like when Detective Comics stopped being about other detectives. <laughs> like yeah. this Batman guy is moving comics. Let's just make it about Batman. I get it. Makes sense. But in any case, what happens sometimes when your work is exclusively published online is it can be deleted if like a if a publication goes out of business and they don't feel like paying to uh, keep up the website. That's happened to me before. It can be uh, uh, changed or deleted because uh, websites decide to change their formatting mm-hmm. and their focus. That's happened to me before. It, it, it happens. It's unfortunate. I've lost quite a few articles I've enjoyed over the years, uh, but you, you kind of get used to it. Um, but in any case, I, I, I prefer to think of it as ephemeral art. Yeah, it's a te- bit. temporary. It doesn't need to be a permanent. Well, it's archive. a bummer because when you think about like how ephemeral so much of media is, when yeah. you think about like all of the silent movies that do not exist because no one gave a shit enough to archive them. And how many of them, a lot of them only exist because, or our knowledge of them is limited to, rather, reviews that were published in print. And we can Mm -hmm. go find those old newspapers on microfiche, which it took me a really long time to find out was not about small fish. I'm not kidding. I know that sounds like a stupid joke. (laughs) Everyone kept talking about microfiche, and Uh I was like... Why are there tiny fish in the library? And why does no one ever show me those fish? And yeah. I was embarrassingly old when I found out what it actually was. You didn't use microfiche for like ne- research projects in up. elementary school? It never came it? up. There was always different mm-hmm. avenues available at the time. Oh, yeah. I was I was there at kind of like the dawn of when the internet was being used for research. So by the time mm-hmm. I was in like high school, we were using the reference section, but newspapers and stuff were starting to be more available online. Oh, okay. and that could be. Yeah, I- I, yeah. I got to know my periodicals uh, section at my library and those big. Uh, we had the microfiche that were just the flat plates. You'd lay them yeah. on the flat plates and you kind of move them around. Uh, yeah. You know, sort of with the micro, uh, yeah. magnifying lens. Yeah, it looks really cool in a movie montage. Yeah. We, I, I only occasionally use the real to real kind where you kind of have to zip through the, the newspapers. Yeah. It's really neat. But in any yeah, case, yeah, a lot of a lot of older movies, yeah. <laughs> a lot of older movies are lost to time, and the only record of their existence is there was a quick review in Variety, mm. that kind of thing. So it, it it's unfortunate that any of this stuff gets lost. But anyway, mm. uh, Tammy and the T Rex is a film in which uh, Denise Richards and uh, a young, this is before Denise Richards, Denise Richards was anybody, and it was way before Paul Walker was anybody. Nineteen ninety four, this movie came out. Yeah, Denise Richards was on the cusp. Of her breakout, Paul mm. Walker wouldn't have his proper breakout for another mm. couple of years. Uh, Denise Richards really kind of broke out uh, in in the late later nineties. Mm. Uh, she was in Starship Troopers and uh-huh. she was in Wild Things and Drop uh, Dead Gorgeous, which was uh, more yeah. of a cult hit. But that movie is great. Uh, um, but yeah, yeah. Um, and actually, that was, uh, late nineties was still Wild James Bond Thing. as well. Oh, that's right. She was in yeah. uh, World uh, is the not World enough. is Not Enough. She um, played Doctor Christmas Jones. Uh, I, I'm not going to repeat the, the James Bond joke. The last terrible, joke but, uh, in that movie is one of the most embarrassing things in all of Bond. Like, not only is that a terrible and very sexist joke, that's what you end, you cut to the credits at that. Yeah, that's that, that was Ooh, the last line of dialogue in the movie. That is terrible. Um, oh my god. She had yeah, more dignity she was, when she played uh, the same type of character in Undercover Brother. Like she got to play, the, she got to play like the evil yeah. Bond girl in Undercover Brother, but she was great in it. Like I like Denise Richards as an actor. I think she's she, actually she's very fine. funny. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, it it was uh, a little embarrassing that anybody involved in Starship Troopers was involved in Starship Troopers. 
because Paul Verhoeven was clearly casting them because they looked like proto-fascists. Yeah. So he cast actors like Casper Van Dien and Denise Richards. You know, these incredibly handsome and, and beautiful people. Plausibly attractive people. Because yeah. Starship Troopers, if you... Missed the memo uh, Even though it was marketed at the time As just another conventional sci-fi action movie About hero soldiers fighting giant bugs in space mm. um, It was actually a a satire of propaganda films uh, And that equated uh, uh, Americans to the Third Reich And it's Very explicitly up. Like they're wearing yeah. the, their uniforms at the end So, like, uh, so, so like all of the characters in that movie Are implausibly gorgeous Because in a movie that was designed To tell you that the enemies of the state Are evil And everyone who is fighting and giving their lives For the state Is a goddamn gorgeous hero mm. So they all look like they came right off of the CW Right, right. Yeah. So that, that was Denise Richards That was Casper yeah. Van But uh, she's great but, she, knows, she, she was in on it She knew what she was doing I, I think they're all Giving fine performances But yeah. they're all Very over the top Because that's the That's the, the movie the, the, What the movie is doing Indeed uh, Tammy and the T-Rex Yeah It has Paul Walker As Denise Richards uh, It has yeah. uh, Buckflower uh, It has uh, um, Bernie From Weekend at Bernie's Whose uh, name is uh, uh, Oh my god it's oh, this is on the tip of my Ka- tongue. Kaiser, um, uh, Terry Kaiser, Terry Kaiser, Terry Kaiser. Thank you. There's there's the old um, uh, someone once I forget who this was, but it's one of the best things I've ever heard. Uh, you, if you've ever wanted to know what it's like to be a ghost, uh-huh. uh, it's you're listening to a podcast and people are trying to remember something you know, and it's just like <laughs> I know that. Just, Terry Kaiser, you fool. Well, we heard you. It was Terry Kaiser. Yeah. Um, Terry Kaiser plays the bad guy. Um, the, we'll get to the premise in a second. First, uh-huh. uh, it was directed by Stuart Raffle, who actually has quite a long film career. A very strange. But career. he's maybe better known for his like weird bombs yeah. than he is for any of his uh, family-friendly fare or other yeah. other like, he, modestly he, successful movies. Probably like the most like successful movie he has a direct connection. Connection to in terms of like people just think this is unironically pretty good. Mm. Uh, he is one of the credit. I don't know if he's the only credit writer, but he's one of the credited writers on the Wesley Snipes action movie Passenger Fifty Seven, which was just like a mainstream hit. Yeah, that was it was Die Hard on a plane, but it was considered it was a, it was a box office success. It was pretty mm. huge. It helped cement Wesley Snipes as a box office draw. Uh, after the success of White Men Can't Jump uh, And uh, it's reasonably well remembered It's mm. maybe not an action classic on the level of Die Hard But it's it's very well liked as a straight up action movie yeah, However, uh, a lot of his career uh, was doing weird campy shit Sometimes on purpose and sometimes you can't tell Yeah, he uh, did a movie that Whitney and I both really, really like <laughs> Called The Ice Pirates From 1984 Um the Ice Pirates was like a sci-fi comedy film he did, and it was meant to be funny. Yeah. Uh, and uh, it takes place in the future when water is a scarce resource, mm-hmm. and so pirates are now stealing ice yeah. to because water is so valuable. And the way that the movie kind of plays out and the way the characters are articulated and the way that the sci-fi stuff is portrayed as very, very funny is, for me, I think you can draw a pretty clean line between the Ice Pirates and the Guardians of the Galaxy films. They're, they're really, really similar. I, I would yeah. be shocked if James Gunn wasn't a fan of the... I, I think he went in a more, like... He tried to make it more emotionally serious, but 
It's mm. a very similar vibe, and they yeah, make a great a, double feature. Uh, there's all kinds of like raunchy jokes, you know. Uh, the ship uh, gets space herpes. The, the, the ship itself has herpes, and the herpes are like giant monsters, yeah. like you can pick them up with your hands. Yeah, uh, I think it's the one where like they scare robots, and the robots like you know, pee oh, God. themselves. I ha- no 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 no. no, 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 uh, no. The... This was actually one of the moments in my childhood where I found out death was a thing. Oh, where the robots get there, killed. There's a, there's like a chase through like a space station or something. Mm. And they're, they're, these ice pirates are running from the cops, and <laughs> they run past three robots. A mommy robot, a daddy robot, and a little, a little kid robot. Like, like the three bears. And every time someone runs down this hallway, they run and they, like, smash through one of the adult robots. Mm. And then the next time you see it, they smash through the other adult robot. Well, they smash and through the baby. No, 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 no. What's the special the baby? The special the baby second. Well, regardless, like, and then the one robot who is left is mourning the death of their family. We linger on them. Daddy, baby, what happened? It's, it actually kind of ruined the movie for me when I saw this when I was like seven. Because I was like, that's the saddest thing I've ever seen. You do not see that. In most action sequences, where like you know, there's like this huge, awesome car chase through all of Los Angeles, and then as like I don't know, Mark Wahlberg and Ray Fiennes are like shooting at each other in the streets. <laughs> this is a made-up movie, obviously, but like as these guys are shooting each other through the streets, the camera doesn't linger on the collateral damage and and just be like people like I'm so sad. Everyone I know. Like, it's like, you, you don't really think about that. And here in the Ice Pirates, they're making you think about it. They're completely undermining what action movies are about. And as an adult, I respect that. As a kid, it fucked me up. And I was depressed for days. Literally days. <laughs> uh, other films that Stuart Raffle was responsible for. One of the most legendarily uh, poorly received movies of all time. Yeah. Mac and Me. Mac and, Mac and Me, for those who don't know, that one came out, what was it, 88, 89? Uh, 88. 88. And um, yep. uh, it was a feature film uh, sponsored by McDonald's. Uh, yep. McDonald's wanted to make a movie uh, in the E.T. mold mm-hmm. where they could sell their products. So McDonald's mm-hmm. is featured very heavily. Uh, yeah. If you look up the previews, Ronald McDonald says, go see Mac and Me. Yeah. Like like the clown from the, a, from the burger joint. Yeah, so it's about it's about a family of aliens that gets sucked up mm-hmm. by a satellite, and they end up on Earth, and it's about a bunch of kids who befriend them, and they're trying to protect them from the cops, and then... Uh, there's a sequence in which, like, the little kid alien has to, like, dress up as, like, a teddy bear, and they take him to a McDonald's, where they're having a birthday party, and Ronald McDonald was there. And here's another thing that fucked me up as a kid. I thought, after watching (laughs) Mac and Me when I was six years old, I thought that, because they just happened, it, it wasn't, like, a huge, like, event. They weren't, like, you know, they weren't, like, cutting, like, the opening ribbon or anything like that, or, like, it was just a typical day at McDonald's, and Ronald McDonald was there. I thought that if you went to McDonald's, you had a chance of getting Ronald McDonald just there that day. Yeah. So one of the reasons why I kept telling my parents we need to go to McDonald's, I didn't like the food. I just thought I could finally meet Ronald McDonald. <laughs> and he'd answer all my unanswered questions about the Fry Guys and Grimace. Hmm. Like, I... And it never happened. <laughs> I'm still mad. Grimace, Grimace is a chicken nugget, right? No, I think like, Grimace, I is, like, you Grimace like... is, a, is, a, is like a moldy pickle. 
I, I imagine you pulled him open. He's just like solid, like oh, no bones. He's just like white meat all the way through. I actually don't, have no idea what the grimace is. I've <laughs> never, I've never had big, this properly explained it's a big to me. Purple blob. I, yeah. I, the advertising campaign on for McDonald's restaurants mm-hmm. were uh, insidious. They yeah. leaked into our brains. I, I followed the. The drama in the ads. I didn't. I mm. never ate meat as a child. I still don't. Yeah. So I didn't want to go to the burger joint. I didn't want to have a burger. I would go there and maybe get fries. Yeah. Uh, I, I like the Happy Meal because it came in a box and it had a toy in it, and then I just yeah. threw the food away. And the box had like eat. little puzzles on the sides. Yeah, the, that was the, fun. The box yeah. was fun. Uh, so the, yeah, the food was completely inconsequential to this, but we Fair. all knew about McDonald's because of those ads. Yeah. And uh, this was part of their Insidious ad campaign. Was this feature film that was released in theaters? Mm-hmm. Uh, that was a, a, a unabashed ET knockoff. Oh yeah, a shameless in every way. Mm-hmm. Like you know, oh ET likes Reese's Pieces. Well, we'll we'll one up that. He likes Coca Cola now. No, he doesn't yeah. just like Coca Cola. Coca Cola heals aliens. Like if an alien is dying, <laughs> if you give him a Coke, right. he'll live again. <laughs> That's and, and people uh, always talk about McDonald's and like their like product placement in Mac and me. Coca Cola is way more insidious. Like well, McDonald's go- is there and it's bad. But McDonald's like, has a uh, contract with Coca Cola. They yeah. sell Coke. I realize that, but I, I just feel like they uh, double down. Also, I believe it is my understanding. I'm not 100 percent on this. That the profits that McDonald's made on the film did go to the McDonald charity. Fair, okay. Which is which, which, is, is, which is not fun. that bad, but uh, like they the, were encouraging people to go to their restaurant, so it's, it's not like they were getting nothing out of it. It's a, I mean, it's still a piece of shit movie. Oh, um, it's quite bad. The aliens look terrible. I mean, oh, ET e. is kind of a weird looking creature anyway. I don't yeah. understand how ET became the hit it did because ET is really off putting. When ET was being developed, they mm. would actually like they would say like, "Hey, who wants in on this action? Who wants to like?" Who wants to like? I, th- I think it was actually even M and M's. They said they wanted M and M's to be the candy, mm. and then the M M&M and M people saw what E T looked like and were like, "Pass." That we because don't want that thing it our doesn't yeah. look like it would be. You need the context of the film. Mm. You need it to have any emotional connection to that thing because it just doesn't look cute look, on yeah, its own. It's, really, like, really it's cute because of the uh, way it behaves, mm. not because it's necessarily like. It's it's not like it, there are certain things that humans just respond to and go no, mm. like cats. Or whatever, but or like puppies mm-hmm. or gerbils, like, but like ET has big eyes. Big eyes are like, a big deal. Yeah, they're they're like really wide set on its like yeah. big flat manta ray head. It's kind of yeah. a weird looking creature. Yeah, it's and, it's uh, an alien, yeah. but like yeah, I, I, uh, the, again, uh, I think the context really helps here. Yeah. The design of Mac and me, they look a little bit like sea monkeys, but they have mm-hmm. like permanently puffed out cheeks and little oh like ooh shaped mouths. You know, they always look like to me. You know those like weird squeezy toys where the eyes oh, like yeah, and yeah. ears will like pop out when you squeeze them. They look mm. kind of like those. Yeah, forget what that's called. Um, but anyway, oh, so yeah, these aliens they land on Earth and they eat a lot of McDonald's and eventually they're allowed to become American citizens. If you've ever watched Paul Rudd on the Conan O'Brien talk shows, every single time he shows up, he manages to sneak in this one ridiculous clip from Mac and Me, uh, and that's where it's from. And then eventually they actually they actually did it on Mystery Science Theater three thousand, which wow. I was a little surprised they were able to get the rights to that one because it was it's kind called, of a big deal when it came out. It's called Panic Pete. Panic beat. Oh, that's the, what the, the squeezy eye, the toys? Pop, the eye-popping toys. Yeah. Um, but in any case, Stuart Raffle. Well, uh, Stuart Raffle also, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, also, and he also did Tammy and the T-Rex. Yeah. Uh, the Mannequin reason, 2 on the moon. Mannequin 2 on the moon. I was, saw in theaters. <laughs> we, uh, you and I and one Mark Edward Hoyk, a, yeah. a dear friend of ours, um, were 
early adopters and then eventually the only adopters yeah. of a Stuart Raffle, Raffle film from 2010, yeah. uh, which was put together... Uh, uh, un- it was put together unusually in that they had auditions before they wrote the script. Yeah, they they wanted to cast uh, young young people like kids. Yeah, like age like eight. They to wanted 12. to make like a kids movie mm-hmm. about like young uh, uh, kids putting together like a band, like a musical act, mm-hmm. and then getting into a competition. Pretty formulaic stuff, but but they, they would they build it around them. the cast that they had developed. Yeah, yeah, they they so they cast uh, this casting of young kids, and they sort of developed the story out of it. Uh, yeah. There's a. a uh, a lot of wannabe was the uh, the the, yeah. the rising star, but uh, it's a tr- truly strange movie. It's very odd. Uh, yeah, you you made it sound like very boilerplate, but there's so so many weird well, little details that th- it doesn't start to cohere in reality ever. There's one young kid in the movie standing ovation mm. who. Uh, they actually did create a character beforehand, and what they decided was that this character, who was originally going to be the ghost of a mafioso, like an old man who had <laughs> killed people, and then this one uh, young actress uh, came in an audition, and they said, okay, give all the lines to her. Like, that's how we... That's, and it makes no sense and there's, at there's all. It's scenes super where, weird. And uh, it takes place in New Jersey, and she's like this really offensive, like, Italian stereotype character. Yeah. She shakes people down, like, because she keeps poisonous snakes in her yeah she keeps like deadly animals in in, like her purse like it's really fucking weird um so Stuart Raffle makes weird fucking movies is what we're saying (laughs) he's got got strange interests so so Tammy and the T-Rex which a lot of people consider is like what is this really weird film this is another day for Stuart Raffle this is not even like the weirdest thing he's done it's really fucking weird Mm. I'm not gonna call this a normal movie but for Stuart Raffle this is par for the course so the plot is Paul Walker and Denise Richards are in high school. They're in love. However, she has an abusive ex-boyfriend who, when he finds out Paul Walker is dating her, abducts him, drops him in a wildlife reserve where he is then mauled by lions, and then... Uh, he's, take, he's taken and, to the hospital. He's taken to the hospital, and then His, uh, Bernie from Weekend at Bernie's kills him and brings him to his lab where he inserts Paul Walker's brain into a life-size animatronic T-Rex. And then Paul Walker wakes up, realizes the horror in, that his in, life in has the become. the body of the robot T-Rex. Yeah. And goes on a killing spree before reconnecting with his girlfriend and trying to find a new body. That's the plot. There is a certain kind of movie. Typically a low-budget movie. In which a movie is reverse engineered from the pre-existence of production value. I.e., we have something uh, expensive they, uh... <laughs> that would make our movie look expensive. Mm-hmm. We already just, for whatever reason, we have access to that. So we're going to build a movie around that. Yeah, this so movie it, exists. Instant production value. Yeah, we have uh, an awesome location, a great house. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a cool car, something. That, that's been the uh, sort of the working ethos of um, uh, David Dakota. Yeah. Another uh, insanely prolific B-movie director. He's, he's, made, he's made more movies than Takashi Miike. Like he's, <laughs> he's just way, way up there. True. He has like over 200 credits it's to his It's really name. incredible, um, yeah. And most of them are, occasionally they're good. Usually they're not. Uh, like, yeah. w- one in every 150 is okay. Just, just the law of averages, he has to get a good one. <laughs> There's a few good ones, especially earlier in his career when he had more money, but yeah. Yeah, but uh, he uh, happened to know somebody who had a mansion. Mm-hmm. 
And he could shoot films in a weekend. Like, he, yeah. he didn't need any time at all to make these movies. So Yeah, most of the time are... when people, like, review his movies, they assume that's David Dakota's house. We talked to David Dakota. David it's Dakota not, basically yeah. said, I wish. But I, <laughs> like, I don't I, live in that mansion. You think I live in that house? But uh, whoever lived in that mansion, this this person <laughs> was, he knew was, was kind cool enough. It's like, why don't, yeah, sure, you can shoot a movie dude, here this dude weekend. shot dozens of movies in that house. Uh, yeah, so... Yeah, whole franchises were shot in that I, house. I can find my way around that mansion because I've seen oh, enough yeah. David Dakota movies. <laughs> It's like the woods in Romania. We yeah. just know our way around <laughs> because, because we see enough sci-fi so, channel. So many sci-fi channel I saw Anaconda's the four, therefore I know my way around the woods in Romania. <laughs> um, so anyway, so anyway, what happened was they had an animatronic dinosaur. Mm. There was an animatronic dinosaur. It was built for. It was not built for this movie. Mm. They had it for a couple of weeks before it was shipped off to wherever it was going, some other I, like I venue. It, well, there was, and uh, then so they was like, okay, was, let's shoot this fucking movie. I, I think it wasn't. Uh, this is not substantiated, but I think mm. it was the dinosaur. Yeah, was built for a dinosaur exhibit at like a zoo. Mm-hmm. You could go to a zoo, you could see actual animals, and then they would like throughout the park plant these animatronic dinosaurs. Sure, they didn't walk around. They just, they sort of moved their heads yeah. and they kind of shook their heads from side to side, their jaws open, they like a little <laughs> snarl, their and eyes you know swiveled back and forth. It's a pretty good animatronic. It's, and it's fun, especially if you're a little kid. Oh, you know, yeah. To see these things if, kind of if that was a, If that was in, uh, up close and personal, even, even as an adult, I'd be like, you know what, that's fucking cool. I know uh, Universal Studios has actually made ones that can walk. It, really? You can go to Universal Studios. That, I mean, they wow. can't like like run or do a no, whole but lot. That's but, still awesome. But they can take steps and walk around without falling Ooh, over. Ooh, that's neat. Uh, I've never, so you, I've can, seen you that. can meet like a, a big Velociraptor. Oh, okay, that's fucking cool. They, I they, did. They I did it with the the Transformers as well. Like they, like yeah, like nine ten foot tall Transformer robots that, that can actually, actually walk. Because I remember like uh, I saw this video of a Universal attraction where you could like walk up to. I think it was a Triceratops, and they had this, like, completely, like, the most convincing animatronic they possibly could have. Mm-hmm. It took a lot of people to operate, and it would, like, specifically interact with you in unique ways. And then, gradually, they just let the attraction go fallow, and it got mm-hmm. less accomplished, and eventually it's gone. But, uh, regardless, yeah, it's a cool animatronic. And so, yeah, so it's a lot of production value for a very, very low-budget movie. Uh, the story goes that... Um, Every scene in the movie was shot within 25 minutes of Stuart Raffle's house. Like, that's the level of, like, convenience we're going for here. Uh, But, yeah, and and so the movie they decided to make Mm -hmm. was we're going to acknowledge that that's an animatronic, which I think is actually a pretty smart move. Because you can only get so much suspension. It's a good animatronic, but you're only going to get so much suspension and disbelief Mm -hmm. out of it. So we're going to acknowledge that that's an animatronic, and we are going to have it go on a killing spree. Why is it? Possessed by a ghost? Is it being controlled by someone who really wanted to kill someone with an animatronic dinosaur? No. Somehow, we got to killing Paul Walker, and not just killing him. He wasn't run over by a car. Well, the, uh, he wasn't beaten up in an alleyway. Wait, wait, let's let's go through the series of events. So, um, yeah. It, we start the movie with uh, mm. Paul Walker getting into a fight with Denise Richards' ex-boyfriend. Oh, yes. And it's they, a crotch-grabbing fight. They, yeah, they, they grab each other very hard by the crotch. In uh, fact, they grab oh. each other so hard by the crotch at the same time that when people come in to break up the fight, they refuse to unclench mm. each other's crotches. Him first. No, him first. This goes on for a while. 
wild. Uh, one, one of the a weird co- bit. The cops are called in to break it up. One of the cops is Buck Flower. I mentioned him already. Yeah. Uh, if, one of the if great you, uh, character actors played a lot of drunks. Yeah, he played like drunks and vagrants a lot in movies. If you've seen a, a mm. drunk or a vagrant in a John Carpenter movie, it was probably mm. Buck Flower. It's probably Buck Flower. Uh, uh, but Paul Walker's okay because he's wearing a cup. Yeah, which is and weird he, uh, because he was acting like he was hurt the whole time. I don't know why and he bothered. He, uh, he and Denise Richards are madly smitten, but they're not dating. Because, not yet. Be- because, because she has the, this abusive yeah. ex-boyfriend and she's afraid mm. that he will literally murder her new boyfriend. Yeah. Which is a See, uh, bad scene, man. Like, there's, the new boyfriend literally, like, breaks into her house, like, th- home invasion through the front door when, mm. she thinks Paul, when he thinks Paul Walker is, is in the house. And her parents... Now, now is when we don't call the cops. They're like literally committing a felony right now. You can get him throw throw this asshole in jail. He's a horrible human being. Paul Walker tries to run away. They run him down with their car. They beat him up, and then they decide as a lark. They drive. If you blink, you'll miss the context that they're supposed to be near a wildlife preserve, and it really does seem like we'll just take him to. I don't know. Africa where there are lions and they just drop him next to some lions which they have and then he's been mauled by a lion so he's attacked by a lion he tries to climb a tree but there's a big cat up the tree as well yeah he's mauled by a lion like run how are we gonna run from a lion I'm gonna climb up a tree good yeah cats haven't figured that one out I, I kind of hoped that the lion would stay at the like the base of the tree and they'd like dub it a barking sound effect <laughs> I can't make it up that tree because oh. lions are just like dogs. So he's mauled by a lion, but not in a bloody way. Like his, mm. he's intact. Yeah. He's not scarred or cut at all. But yeah. somehow he, like he's, his, his, he's like in a coma. I think he's for a injured while. enough, and yeah. he's in, in a coma. And he's taken to the hospital. Yeah. Okay. Don't stop asking why there were cats in the movie. Just let that. That will that, never be addressed. This, they will never come back. Watching watching this movie is like they reading. Had, uh, it's like reading James Joyce's Ulysses. You just have to let it wash over you. And again, uh, I I suspect I don't have this information, but I suspect if we were to ask the filmmakers why are there lions in this movie, it will be because we had access to lions. Yeah, we we had a lion. We, we, could we film knew. It. I knew a guy who worked at a wildlife preserve. That's it. There's no other justification. It makes no sense. Uh, meanwhile, Terry Kaiser is mad scientist with very mad, s- strange accent. He uh, one of his uh, lab assistants is played by Isaac from Children of the Corn. Yeah, he's an actor named John Franklin. Uh, yeah. say what you want about those Children of the Corn movies. He, mm-hmm. He's really scary in them. He's in he's yeah. in the first one. Uh, he's in the second he, one too. He's not in the second one. Oh, he's in the third. He's one. no, he's in the sixth one. <laughs> Are you sure he's not in the second? He's definitely not in the second one because he I mean, dies at the end of the first one. <laughs> but it's okay that he's in the sixth. It's, if they can bring him back in the sixth, why can't they bring him back? In the, I'm going to look this up because the, the sixth one is even called Isaac's Returns. Children of the Corn six six six. Isaac's Return is the title of the sixth Children of the Corn. Right. I've seen way too many of these things to to let them slip out of my brain. Some seen, might argue that that would give you I've, more of an excuse. I've seen at least thing. 11 of them, and I know there's more. I feel like uh, one of them returns in the final sacrifice. No, there, nobody returns in the final sacrifice. Oh, God. Like, it, it's Linda Hamilton and uh, Jude Marr with a mustache. Yeah, the uh, bicycle guy from Singles. The bicycle guy from Singles. Uh, <laughs> that red-headed twerp and, uh, and, and John Franklin. Okay, I could have sworn one of the kids returned, but I guess I'm wrong. But, uh, yeah, Terry Kaiser... Is uh, some sort of mad scientist who has this uh, animatronic T Rex yeah. in his lab. 
Yeah. Because because he's a mad scientist. There's no explanation for it. If him. you've ever seen that one uh, uh, panel from a Spider-Man comic where Spider-Man is talking to this villain named Sauron who, uh, nothing to do with the Lord of the Rings character, he's a pterodactyl man. And uh, he talks about how I've invented a technology that can transform people's DNA and turn them into dinosaurs. Mm. And Spider-Man says... With technology that can change people's DNA to suit your whim, you could cure cancer. Mm. And Sauron says, I don't want to cure cancer. I want to turn people into dinosaurs, <laughs> which is all the motivation yeah. you need for a mad scientist. He's obsessed and he's weird. Boom. Mm. So this guy is obsessed with dinosaurs and he wants to put a human brain in him. And, God damn it. And Terry this Kaiser, is his dream. Terry Kaiser yeah. is is an incredibly game actor. He's yes, throwing he himself is. into this thing. Like he's not no. he's not half assing it at all. And he and absolutely and was uh, allowed to. <laughs> oh, yeah, the, uh, with Terry, no one he expected more of you. Uh, he has a, a a comely assistant played by an actress named Ellen Dubin. Uh, she does like a lot of cartoon voices. She was in that uh, miniseries Lex, the sci-fi. Uh, oh, okay. Uh, and they evidently they on the regular, and he's mm. famous too because he goes into a hospital and people recognize him. They know who he is. He's like he's like a well-known like doctor. A, yeah, like a yeah. star doctor, and yeah, he I guess trolls. Uh, hospitals looking for the right bodies to do experiments on. Which a mad scientist would do. Oh, by the way, the the hospital is an L.A. landmark called Linda Vista, mm. where a lot of horror movies have been filmed over the years. I think they finally... Because it looks really old-fashioned. It, it, was, it was an old, old, old place. There were some urban legends that say it was haunted, whatever. There are, but everything's haunted. Everything's haunted. But like, regardless, uh, a lot of independent horror movies have filmed at this place called Linda Vista. You can look it up. You can see a giant list. I think they... And they kept it abandoned because so many movies were shooting there. Like, that's yeah, what the property yeah. was making money on. And then eventually, I think it's in, um, I think it's in, it's in, is it in Boyle Heights? It's like somewhere around there. And, mm. uh, yeah, eventually they, they actually, I guess they did renovate it and now it's a different thing now. Oh, that's too bad. Yeah, it's a bit of a bummer. That was kind of a mm. Hollywood uh, but, uh, institution. But yeah, Terry Kaiser yeah. Uh, finds that Paul Walker uh, fits the bill. And yeah. puts uh, Denise Richards and Paul Walker's best friend... Mm. who is an incredibly offensive gay stereotype character. Yeah. They make a lot of bad homophobic jokes in, uh-huh. throughout this movie. It's 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 not it's not uh, great. No, 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 like, no, it's not good. There, there's a few moments where you think, oh, they're going to do something respectful. His father, like, listens to him, and they have a good relationship, and then they use, like, the most horrendous slur immediately yeah, after. It's, it's like, not, no, no, this is this is not it's, great. It's un- most unfortunate. Uh, yeah. th- so... Th- they put those two to sleep. Paul Walker's legal guardian, his parents are dead, which mm-hmm. is another strange detail that they didn't need to include in this movie. Yeah, he's, he's like being raised by his drunk uncle, which is basically an excuse for why nobody's looking for him. I guess so. That's the screenwriting excuse. So yeah, why is the, nobody, why is there, why is there no ne- one in the hospital neglected. saying, don't take this child's brain? Mm. He, doesn't so they, have, he has, doesn't have parents and his only guardian is, is an alcoholic. Okay. They, they take Paul Walker away. And he regains consciousness while they're kidnapping him. And they just say, it's okay, you just come mm-hmm. with me. Oh, I'm awake now. No, it's all right, you're okay. They take him back to the, the dinosaur lab. Uh-huh. They put his brain in a little vat of green fluid they, they, and, by put, the way, and plug electrodes into it. There's a, there used to be, the ver- they cut this movie down when it was originally released. Oh, so Shutter, that Shutter has the long version. Shutter has the long version. The original cut of Tammy the T-Rex, is the version I had seen, which I had written about back when hmm. that was the only version available, uh, is basically the same movie, but there's there's a lot less gore. Like there's the scene where they 
cut Paul Walker's brain open a lot less vivid, that kind of thing. When the T-Rex bites people, you don't see as much viscera, that kind of deal. Um, but uh, it, the other weird thing is in that in the original R-rated cut, which is the one that has been rediscovered, cleaned up, released by Vinegar Syndrome, um, the movie's title isn't Tammy and the T-Rex. It's That's right, it isn't. It's Tanny. T-A-N-N-Y. And, and the T-Rex. No, it's actually Tanny and the Teenage T-Rex. Is it real? Oh, yeah. I, I think... Tanny and the Teenage T-Rex was the alternate R-rated title. I think... You know, like, when you're reading, like, you know, one of those, like, uh, uh, what, do, what, do, what do you call them? What do, you, what do you call those, like, images that kind of mess with your mind? There's an like optical a, illusion? Optical illusion, thank right. you. There's, there's, like, an optical illusion, but it's a word-based one where, like, they give you, like, a list of texts mm. and there's only three different like rows. I like the, the spring. Yeah, kind of but, like, up. you mentally delete the extraneous the because you know what it's supposed to say. I think I mentally ex- deleted... The Teenage T-Rex. Because I was already so distracted <laughs> so by Tanny, t- Tanny that I couldn't even process the in, teenage part. In the script, by the way, in the actual movie, in dialogue, she is Tammy, with an M. Yeah. Uh, T-A-M-M-Y, Tammy and the T-Rex. I, I and, know, man. And then the, the, and in the opening and closing credits, yeah. Denise Richards is credited as Tanny. I don't... I, I don't know. So Tanny and the Teenage T-Rex, the R-rated movie... Uh, Deeply confused. ...has me. a lot of gore in it. But yeah. uh, Terry Kaiser... Plays a, a few jokes with his brain. The gore yeah. when they remove his brain is actually pretty good. They it's got a, a, a horror movie. Yeah, they got a fake Paul Walker head. It's yeah. it's a good fake head. It's, it's not any, a convincing fake head, but it's a good fake head. Any horror movie from the early '90s would be perfectly happy and proud to have this gore effect. Yeah, yeah. it would be this is the same one you would find in now Doctor Giggles mm. or. Jason goes to hell. Like it's about uh, no, as good. This film does know how silly it is. It's it yes. is a comedy film. There They're are a lot of pretending. stupid jokes. And so when uh, Paul Walker, now in the body of the robotic T Rex, wakes up, he attacks the lab assistants. because yeah. it's a dinosaur monster now. Yeah. Eats them all up. Uh, gobbles eats, them up. Good. Well, he, he eats one of them, and the other one he stomps flat. And they find oh, him yeah. later, and they have to and they can like roll him up like a carpet. It's like a cartoon thing. And then uh, what does he do? Paul Walker in this dinosaur body. He makes, makes a phone, phone call. call. <laughs> there's uh, no, there's a payphone, and the, they, uh, he does have the little tiny tyrannosaurus arms. Yeah, but, but there's whenever they like, need the arms to do something, there's like these ex- extendo arms. All of a sudden, I think it's clearly they can, like, like reach out and grab a phone. There's like and hold someone it has like a sleeve that's like a dinosaur arm, and they're just standing just off camera, reaching in off camera to grab something. So they put the dinosaur, the life-size dinosaur head, right next to this payphone, and then they have some guy in like an, a dinosaur arm sleeve grab the phone. Dial, hold the phone up to the dinosaur's <laughs> ear, and then and this is the this part t- this that tiny makes, arm like holds it up to the ear. That's wonderfully absurd, and this is the part that sends it over the top. This is the moment, and I think you need this in a movie like Tammy and the D-Rex, mm. where you signal to the audience you're not losing your mind. We did this on purpose. He hangs up the phone, and then the little dinosaur hands. Checks the coin return slot to see if the quarter can be retrieved. Yes. Which is a thing you used to do. If you've never used a payphone, I realize a lot of young people maybe haven't. Uh, there was a coin return slot, like let's say your your call didn't go through. Your mm-hmm. quarter would like slide down and you would be able to retrieve it. Uh, and every once in a while you would like walk past the payphone and you put your finger in the slot and you'd realize that someone had left a quarter in there. <laughs> to see the dinosaur it's, it's do that. It's kind of sad that you have to explain that. But, uh, you know, you know, pay, pay, the payphone experience is not common anymore. You know what? 
I, ref- I I'm past the point of being sad about that. Mm. I think that I I accept that the payphones are esoteric now, and like a lot of young, lot of young people don't have a lot of personal experience with them, and. Be, you, we're gonna, again, some people, this is hopelessly redundant and you're rolling your eyes. There's recently been a bit of a conversation uh, about the TV show Stranger Things. Its last season is on Netflix. And there is a, I, I haven't, I kind of fell off of it. I kind of lost interest, but I know a lot of people like it. I, no term of disrespect. It's just not for me. Um, but there was a sequence where, uh, in the latest season, that is apparently making great use of Kate Bush's running up that hill, which is one of the great, like, Ballads of the 1980s Just fucking awesome song Um, A lot of young people Didn't know that song before this And a lot of older people Were kind of being shitty about it Like oh you didn't know it Like they were born in like 2000 It wasn't on the radio all the time (laughs) It is totally possible To not grow up with Kate Bush in the 21st century, and then have your mind completely blown when you first hear a Kate Bush song and you realize how awesome it is. And instead of being shitty about it, instead of being like, how could you not know Kate Bush and being like weird and gatekeepery, let's just say, oh, that's awesome. Good for Stranger Things introducing a new generation to Kate Bush. There's a ton of music that I was only introduced to in the 90s because it was on a 90s soundtrack. Yeah, and it was well. new and it was new to me. And you know what? The previous generation was shitty to us, so it's our turn now. Okay. We get, like we, we get to do it this time. Yeah, that's great. Let's pop culture hazing. Let's just Absolutely. keep it going. Why break the cycle and make the world a better place when we can be shitty about it? Uh, but in any case, I'm fine with having to explain some stuff that might be esoteric. So again, it might be completely meaningless. Or it might be completely pointless to explain this to you, but there might be someone else who actually needs this. So. Anyway, uh... The dinosaur goes on a short killing spree. There's like a party, a bunch of teenagers are there. Tammy is uh, uh, distraught. And uh, she leaves and doesn't see uh, and the Paul Walker this. dinosaur uh, kill a bunch of people. Uh, Denise Richards is here for this movie. She's trying. She's she Because she, she's the uh, title character. Yeah. She knows that this is... And she's clearly career-oriented. She's not in this because hmm. her dad made it or something like that. She's, she wants to be a movie star. This could be your big break. Who mm. knows? This could find an audience. She is actually trying to be on the wavelength of this movie and make it work. And I think she does fine. It's it's a hard it's a big ask of anybody. <laughs> you know who actually is weirdly not great in this movie? Paul Walker. Well he, Paul Paul He's not in he's it very barely much. in it. He's barely yeah. in it, but when he is, he is I am not sure what he he's definitely like he's in the movie, but like I think What's the what's the what, 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 um? Just you remember, remember, remember not, uh, no, non-committal? No, 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 he's not non-committal. He's committed to it. I just don't think he's doing a particularly amazing job of it. But I think what what makes it work is that his character is so destined to die that he is that the fact that he is so happy and unaware of any evil in the universe. That it makes it more tragic. It's like that episode of The Simpsons where they're watching a McBain movie and McBain's partner is talking about, yep, I just got one more day until retirement and then it's just going to be me and my wife on my boat to live forever. Yep. Now, if you excuse me, I'm just going to bend over in front of you next to this open window. (laughs) (laughs) Like, 
It, that's the, that's what's guaranteed to happen to Paul Walker. So I think that saves it a little bit. But if you if this was your first introduction to Paul Walker, you might be surprised that he headlined a billion dollar franchise <laughs> later. I guess is my point. Um, anyway, Paul Walker as a dinosaur kills a whole bunch of people, and then he tracks down Tammy and he's able to convince her that he's him through so Tyrannosaurus yeah. streets. It's great. That's a uh... And uh, like God I said, Denise Richards yeah. has to read the charades of an animatronic dinosaur. A, yep. good enough an animatronic and puppet hands. Yeah, it's getting the job done. Uh, to give the charades. It's, it's working. It, it, it reads well enough. Yeah. This is not a movie where you're ever convinced that the dinosaur looks real, and it's not supposed to. It's supposed to be, uh, yeah. even in the conceit of the movie, it's an animatronic Which, dinosaur. Which, again, I think is a wise move, the, the, because uh, if they were trying to say this is a real-looking dinosaur... Mm -hmm. They would never be able to pull it off. There but by are saying it's a pretty good animatronic, we can give you that. There are a few wide shots of the dinosaur walking, uh -huh. which is achieved with very like, early the, the, animation, the, cra the yeah. crappiest photographic effects, yeah. where they're sort of distorting its legs and trying to make it look like it's walking. It's kind of charming, it's, really, uh, <laughs> and, it's, and, it's, and it's naivete. I, I suppose so. Uh, what I find charming is whenever they have the uh, the dinosaur standing still and they have to film its feet. Uh huh. They have to like cover whatever that like am animatronic platform is it's yeah. on, so it yeah. it's always like got a lot of clutter around its feet. <laughs> also, whenever they want to show the dinosaur walking like from foot level, you can see somebody wearing like these big awkward dinosaur shoes, oh, like these God, big rubber dinosaur job. feet. I want that job. <laughs> That's when, a uh, great job. When they filmed Godzilla movies, uh -huh. uh, it, it was multiple Godzilla suits. There wasn't just one suit. Oh yeah, put, put someone in. Yeah, uh, the performer. Yeah, you got one uh, spare. Yeah, for a lot of the close-ups of Godzilla's feet, there was just a half suit. It was mm. from the waist down, and there are wonderful photographs you can find them online. Yeah, of the actor wearing just like the bottom half of the Godzilla suit with the tail yeah. and the legs, but it's just like a guy in a well, t-shirt. Because because those suits are really uncomfortable and hot, and if you don't have well, to wear super the whole heavy thing, as well, yeah, if yeah. you don't have to wear the whole thing, why would you? You know, yeah. Because it's my job. I'm Godzilla, damn it. I actually really love learning about stuff like that, about like costume design, about how like depending on the needs of the scene, mm. you're going to have, if you have the money for it anyway, you're going to have like, like there are like different Batman movies where like his cape is totally different based on whether he's trying to look cool and like fighting, scowling or whether he's yeah. fighting. Like in this, his cape, if you look carefully, you can see the cape change like length mm. based on the needs of the scene just because it's more practical to shoot that way. You'd never notice if you weren't looking for it, but it's so much more practical. And once you realize like how much of like costume design and production design isn't just about what looks good, but it's actually about functionality on the set, yeah, yeah. you gain so much more respect for that uh, craft. It's really amazing. I uh, th this is a weird example, but I know mm. in the uh, in the Masters of the Universe uh, movie, yeah, do you remember the character Gwildor, the one yes, played sir. by Billy Barty? I very distinctly re I had a Gwildor action figure. Oh, you were the one. Okay, yeah, it was uh, a Christmas gift. <laughs> I wasn't like I wasn't like I didn't I didn't like send my dad so out like Gwildor grilled up real well like, um, uh, imagine if you will like jingle all the way except instead of trying to find a turbo man Schwarzenegger's trying to find booster like <laughs> that's the Gwildor action figure it was wow. not a popular action figure at the time uh, but I did play with it and did play with it uh, there's a scene in that movie where um, Billy Barty like falls into water yeah. He has to pull himself out of water, and then, uh, like, 
mm. blows his nose and water like squirts out of his ears. Yeah, well, they yeah. had to have like an entirely different costume for a scene sure. like that because the the appliance to spray the water it's a ton would, of work for one fit, shot wouldn't have fit. Yeah, so they had to build like two suits. Mm. They probably had a stunt performer as well. Like it wasn't yeah. Billy Barty in there. Yeah, uh, so yeah, they even for like a piece of crap cheapy canon movie mm-hmm. like Masters of the Universe. You got to work your butt off. They need to do that. Uh, they didn't have to do that for Tammy and the T-Rex because they only had one T-Rex. Yeah. And you can tell that they weren't touching it. Denise Richards was the only performer who was allowed to touch the Tyrannosaur. Yeah, because, again, this we don't have this thing for long. we yeah. got to give this away. we got to make sure but, this, is, this is in resale so, condition uh, the, by the time it's done. It's like at the end of like Ferris Bueller's Day Off, we got to roll back the odometer on the car. So they got to roll back the odometer on the T-Rex the so they can sell it to the... To the fucking, like, demolition derby it's gonna go to next week. Holy shit. <laughs> Coming soon, Tammy and the T-Rex. Why are there... dinosaur. Why is there an extra 2,000 miles on this T-Rex? <laughs> That's not what I paid uh, for. Oh, no, it was, it was that like that way when you lent it to me, man. I don't know what to say. Uh, so, the, the T-Rex lets Tammy know that he's Paul Walker. Uh-huh. And uh, they, they nap together in a barn. Yeah. It's I'm sweet. I'm, I'm relieved that they didn't try to do anything sexual. Oh god! <laughs> like like Howard been, the Duck or something. That, you know uh, what? It, would you have even been shocked though? I, I suppose not. So there's a there's a bit where the mad but, scientists are trying to get the dinosaur back, and the cops get involved, they and they hide. run away with the dinosaur in the back of a truck. And they well, bring but, the dinosaur. Yeah, you, you skipped a bit uh, because skip an important bit. You, you, well, you skip Paul Walker's funeral. I think that's an important bit. Okay, yeah, the dinosaur gets to go to his own funeral. He gets to watch, yeah, watch his own funeral. And uh, <laughs> Denise Richards is wearing like the most '90s Lilith Fair outfit you've ever seen. It's like it's re- red and black velvet with a big rumpled black hat with flowers on it. And they wait for everyone to leave the funeral so that they can. St- Go into Paul Walker's like coffin mm. and take out his brain so they or take out his body so they can put his brain back in. But Paul Walker, I guess A wasn't involved, and B, either way, I guess he died a month or two ago because he is already a fucking like putrefied zombie in yeah, he's there. He's got like maggots on him already. There's even yeah. rats in like, there. It's been a day. Yeah. So like, uh, so they wouldn't be that far gone. And, and the dinosaur has followed them there. So uh, yeah. Denise Richards' best friend and dinosaur. Yeah. Uh, I should look up the best friend. Byron. The character's Bi- name is Byron. Byron. He's played by an actor named Theo Forsett. Okay. Yeah. Who so I don't think was Denise Richards, Byron, and dinosaur. Yeah. He had a couple. Uh, of, he had. He had some TV stuff. He was. Uh, he was in the pilot episode of Mantis. Oh, okay. Uh, and uh, not that long ago, in 2019, he was in one episode of The Rookie. He was in Mantis and Tammy and the T-Rex in 1994 after doing like some TV bits throughout the 80s. And then he took a 25-year break and then was in one episode of The Rookie. Probably as a favorite. Or a I would like to think that he's doing a lot of theater. Like that's he's doing very well on the or, or he's not acting. You know, oh, he's, he can like, do whatever he wants. Whenever you it's, see uh, that, I, I I like I hope whatever he's doing, he's very very happy. But mm-hmm. if it was if act it was acting degree didn't take off in film and television, maybe he's working in the theater. That's where my brain brain right, always goes. I don't follow the theater. Maybe mm-hmm. he's incredibly successful. Oh, and a lot of actors are, are constantly mm-hmm. on stage. I, I was yeah. astonished when I looked up uh, the the acting career of John Lithgow. Mm. Uh, oh, yeah. We know John Lithgow. John Lithgow never stopped working. No, he, he has, works constantly. There has there has not been a single year of his career where he ha- wasn't doing some major project. Yep, film, TV, or theater. Yeah, he's he's just always on. A ton of respect, and he's always amazing. And and he's like never phoned it in once. And he's like seventy six now or something, and he's still never going. phoned it in hmm. once. Fucking amazing. 
Uh, maybe given a few bad performances. Well, yeah, <laughs> but you, you know, you're not always in control of that, but he never seems to just be like there. It's like, oh, hey, yeah, I'm just, I showed up for it's the like, paycheck what, what today. Is, like, yeah. he's trying every single time. What is John Lithgow known for? Not stopping. That's what he's known <laughs> Kinda, for. Kind of, yeah. Uh, that's neither fish nor fowl. Uh, they, they, uh, <laughs> they, they, they steal take, the T-Rex. They steal the T-Rex, and they bring the T-Rex to, uh, and, and I love this scene. That, this where seems, they, this they, they, t- they drive the, the T-Rex to the morgue, Thinking, and this, you've seen this in a lot of B-movies. This is Frankenhooker. This is the brain that wouldn't die. This is uh, where we're going to pick a body for you. Yeah. And the the, the T-Rex is outside. It can't come inside. It's it's in like a big pickup truck. And mm -hmm. like, there's got like these weird like tents up on the side. So you can only see the dinosaur head like poking out over Mm -hmm. the top. But in order to like get his okay on a body, what they do is they go into the morgue, they grab bodies, they drag them to the window window. and they just sort of wave them around and the dinosaur, and you can see the dinosaur like scratching his head. Like, and then there's one time where he like kind of waves his hand around like, (laughs) so, there's a joke where they, they pull a guy out of the morgue and they say, oh, he's like he's kind of a handsome guy. He's not as handsome as Paul Walker. No one is. But uh, yeah. he's, he's kind of handsome. And then they, they pull back the sheet even further to look at his, his penis. Oh, yeah. That's a penis joke. Oh, yeah. And, uh, and I, don't, I don't know what the reaction is where they look at it and uh, Denise Richards says, oh, no way. I can't and, tell and I don't it's, know if it's too big or too small. Yeah, is, or... is that a big penis joke or a small penis joke? I, I either way, know. it's a penis corpse joke, and, yeah. and I appreciate that. Yeah, um, you know, if you get the opportunity, yeah. go for it, I guess. Uh, um, the one he goes, eh, like, a maybe about is the young woman. Oh, like, yeah. We, we can put your brain in the body of a woman and he's Denise like, Richards. He's thinking about it, but she, thinking, yeah. Denise Richards is the one who's like, just like, ah, it's I, not, that's she's not like, who I am. Like, cl- yeah. clearly she's like, no, I'm, I'm hetero. I'm not going to have sex with her. Yeah, it's, which is, you know, anyway. Uh, it all ends, there's a big. She, she knows what she wants. It's fine. There's a big car chase with the dinosaur. Denise Richards gets to ride the dinosaur. And it all ends in a barn where Terry Kaiser shows up and he gives the most bullshitty story to the cops ever. About well, how this tranquilizer gun for yeah, a robot. Yeah, he's like, I will, I will take this tranquilizer gun and I will take down this robot that I invented. And Tammy brings up like, well, why? If it's if you invented it, then and it's a machine, why do you need a tranquilizer gun? And he says, this is a very special machine. But here's what I'm thinking: it still shouldn't work unless you manage to get him in the brain, which presumably is pretty deep in there. I don't know. You have a really long needle there. He shows up in the barn. The dinosaur immediately eats the fuck out of him. There's gore and guns mm. everywhere. And then they kind of just cuts it's, away. The, it's actually this really cool, like, trap door abdomen effect. Yeah, they like, rip out his, like, his chest. And, and, and it, like, like, falls open, and they, they yeah. fill full of, like, cow guts, and it just spills yeah. onto the ground. It's really repugnant, but in a good way. Uh, and then the movie just kind of cuts away from that. And then we have this weird rushed epilogue where Tammy is coming home from school. Everything seems really hunky-dory. She's happy. Her parents seem pretty pleased. But they're a little uncomfortable with her spending time in her room, and we find out why. In her room is Paul Walker's brain. Not the dinosaur, just the brain in a a jar. They took the brain out of the dinosaur. Um, I wouldn't want to be a dinosaur. Uh, I wouldn't want to be one that size. It's a little inconvenient. <laughs> like you're telling me I could be a velociraptor, I'd be like, maybe. Like that's you can get through doors. I suppose so. You know, uh, like that's 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 doable. You have like kind of prehensile hands, you know, that's not so bad. I I, I mean I'm I'm not sure if being in the body of a of a velociraptor would give me sort of like the the kill craving that they have in the movies. 
Does like, uh, I, I need, now I need meat? I need to kill a herd of cattle right well, now. Well, you know, like do we, do do people have like plant cravings because we were like you know evolved from herbivores? Well, we crave sunlight, so we crave yeah, sun- kind of. Okay, well, whatever. <laughs> Listen, yeah, I think we I think we I think we've officially thought about this more than anyone on the film. Did, Paul Walker's brain, uh, back in a jar. Yep, and, and it's connected in. to a video camera, and he's got like a voice box, so he's allowed to talk to her now. So yeah, he can he can yeah. speak and he can see. And the movie ends. This is the last scene of the movie. Yeah, uh, with uh, now they're dating. Yeah, she comes home, pours him a, a whiskey. They're still teenagers, by the way. Yeah, she gets pour, a, bottle a, a bottle of whiskey, a bottle of liquor, pours it right on his brain, and he's like, "Oh yeah, that that tastes good, honey. I can taste that's having an effect on my brain." Uh huh. I, I was watching this with, with my wife, and she uh, she saw that scene and just asked, "Would that even? Never mind." <laughs> like for a second, she was going to ask, "What's what's like the physics of pouring booze directly onto your brain?" And then just didn't want yeah. to. Yeah, you know, it's one of those things where uh, there's a, there comes a point in a movie where there's mad science involved, mm-hmm. where you kind of just have to respect that you might know a lot about science. You don't know about mad science. <laughs> mad science has its own rules. Oh. Mad science allows you to do anything you want as long as it's cool. <laughs> I want like, to turn people into like, dinosaurs. Like if I could, if uh, I could. So you're saying you could like sew my head onto a lawnmower and then I just be a lawnmower and that would be fine. Mm. It's like yeah. Wouldn't what would I have for blood? How would I be talking? It's like it's mad science. I got this. Yeah. Like it's fine. Like that's all you need. <laughs> That's why I've drained Frank's blood and replaced it with propylene glycol. <laughs> exactly. Uh, MSC3K. Perfect yeah. example. Yeah. Uh, so, but yeah, they, she, she pours booze on his brain uh, and she, they can't have sex. Yeah. Uh-huh. So she does like a sexy strip tease in uh-huh. her bedroom yep. to the camera, sort of like yeah. blowing kisses and you know, pulling off yeah. her jacket. And she's wearing you know, elaborate lingerie. And he gets and, so and horny that hear, he explodes. Yeah. He, he, <laughs> the sparks fly out of the brain mm. and she's like, oh shit. That's not great. So, so the movie ends with Paul Walker's brain having an orgasm uh-huh. and roll credit. Yeah, <laughs> an, and there, there's a, that shitty metal song. That there's like half half a scene ago. There's like a line implying that there's like, oh yeah, a couple of skiers just died. So tomorrow I'll go down to the morgue and see if we can take one of their bodies. So we're still gonna be weird and morbid and gruesome. No, I'm fine with weird and morbid. I'm just gruesome. saying, That's if okay. you if you were wondering, is this is this Paul Walker's final form? Probably not. Mm. Yeah, he would probably have another body. It's, this isn't life. disturbing as uh, I remember. There was an episode of uh, Doctor Who mm. where I, I remember the bad guy was like causing people to melt, and um, uh, mm. one of oh, the, one of the characters oh, yeah, like this mel- really from the Christopher Eccleston era. Yeah, where was, like, yeah, there was like I mean, a society of people who had like interacted with the Doctor but mm. didn't know any of the backstory, and they were very confused, and they had like a self help group. Something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and then at the end, one at of the, the end, was, one of the characters yeah. melted, and uh, the, the the doctor yeah. said, "Well, she's dead. She just sort of melted into, into this." Wait a minute, I have a, a tool. I can kind of bring her back, and he was able to like sort of suck her face up yeah. out of like a concrete flagstone, but that's as far as it went. Yeah. So she was alive, but it, she was just a she face was a face a, on like a, on a bit flagstone. Of, uh, yeah. So and so she mm-hmm. was kept like on this piece of concrete. Yeah. Having a brain set up with like a camera seems weirdly preferable than just being a, a hunk of stone. There, that episode, and I, I want to find that in the name of that episode mm. because I actually really love that episode. Uh, a lot of people don't for whatever reason, but I think it's great. Um, bum, 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 bum. No, it's not Daleks. It's not World War Three. Hold on. Well, in any case, whichever one it is. Um, mm. 
that episode is like weirdly bitter and sad and i well, i know people when people die on that show at least in I only watched Christopher Christopher Eccleston through uh, the first year where Matt Smith played the character. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was like really obsessed with Doctor Who for like this little window, and then yeah, I yeah, just yeah. sort of lost interest. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's only so many times I can see the galaxy in peril before it's like, oh well, I've seen that before. Yeah. Uh, but I know in, in when Christopher Eccleston was doing it. Uh, one of the big deals was when people die, they they die. Yeah, like you don't get to go back and resurrect people. That's not the way death yeah. works. It, in, for in for this many years show. on Doctor Who, the idea was that there was nothing after you die, mm. just death, and there's no coming back from it. Well, and, and yeah. I, I think that allowed them to be a little bit more ginger about death. Mm-hmm. It also made threats seem real. So when people died, they died. Yeah. Uh, so there there was a famous line from one of the episodes where he says, just this once, everybody lives. And he kind of like resurrects yeah. a bunch He's, of people. Yeah, they worked out mm-hmm. in that. Oh, sorry, it was a David Tennant episode. It's called Love and Monsters. It was a David Tennant episode. Yeah, okay. but it was a David Tennant episode. I think it might have been from his first season. Okay, well then. But uh, <laughs> yeah, anyway, it's 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 torpedoes. What I was saying. There used right. to be a uh, uh, like a tradition, and I fell off a of Doctor Who a couple years ago, and mm-hmm. I've been meaning to catch up again. But uh, there used to be a tradition where once a season or so, there would be an episode that wasn't about the Doctor, but it was about like a normal person who didn't become a companion, but just their their paths intersected with the Doctor. It's where we got the episode "Don't Blink," which was. Uh, for a lot of people, their first introduction to Carrie Mulligan. Mm. Uh, but, uh, or was it just called Blink? Anyway. Um, but yeah, that, that episode, Love and Monsters, is t- enormously depressing. Oh, just, uh, oh, just because it it's, ends with the character yeah. being turned into a flagstone. Yeah, and then them kind of making it work, but it's genuinely melancholic. Mm-hmm. And I, I love that episode. It broke my goddamn heart. Um, but anyway, Tammy and the T-Rex is... It, well, you just heard us describe it, didn't you? It's fucking weird. It's it's weird, and uh, I, I can see why people are eager to sort of get this one back up again. Mm-hmm. Because it's it's weird and it's enjoyable. It's I, cheerfully I think, weird. Yes, yeah, uh, Stuart Raffle clearly is uh, enthused about what he's doing. Yeah, he's uh, having fun. They're, they're, I don't know if he is. And I, I honestly don't know if he cares if anyone else is. I don't think they. I know that uh, when when you go to a, a set on a, of a trauma movie, something mm-hmm. being shot by Trauma, a notorious studio from New Jersey, mm. they have uh, like here are the three roles. You know, be safe. Rule number one. Rule number two. Also, be safe. And then rule number three: make a good movie. And a very little, small, little brand, small brand. Yeah, yeah. that's uh, not that's not the top priority. It's, yeah, it's... Stuart Raffle is just getting this on screen, and there's no desperation. There's no mm. sadness. There's no cynicism. They just yeah. wanted to uh, make an interesting movie. And Is I, it yeah. successful? N- no, it's cheap and bad, and a lot of the yeah. jokes don't work. But I get the impression that um, they're they're entertaining themselves. It feels like mm. the creative decisions on something like Tammy and the T-Rex are made less for what they imagine an audience would rally behind mm-hmm. and more based on... <laughs> What would be really funny to do today? <laughs> like, oh my god, what what if the dinosaur checked for a quarter? Like, that's... They're just... They are having fun. Mm. And they have just enough talent. They know just enough about how to put together a movie. They have just enough money. They have just a good enough cast for you to kind of join them on that journey. And this is one of those movies where I think if you say it's bad, I see your point. But I think that's not enough. I think to... You, you were saying... So was it, we were talking to someone online. 
And uh, you said something about a movie being bad but entertaining. Not so bad well, it's good, but somebody, so bad, uh, but bad but entertaining. Someone now uh, brought up the brought up the the very uh, kind of an over overused phrase, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, so bad it's good. And right. What well, what does that mean? So bad it's good. Oh well, it, to my ear, that means mm-hmm. it, you recognize that it is. Uh, Grossly incompetent or mm-hmm. not successful in trying to say what it had to say. Yeah, there, there are uh, distinct issues and problems yeah, with, yeah, with, a, with the movie. A lot, yeah. a lot of uh, you know over the top performances, bad writing, plot holes, just a lot of issues with the way the film was made. Yeah, and yet there is uh, an entertaining quality to watching it. It is, yeah. or it's so ambitious that it failed, mm-hmm. but it's interesting to watch the House of Cards collapse. Yeah, and that's there's an entertainment value to that. Yeah, a, a bad movie can be. Entertaining, so you said, I, I prefer yeah. uh, just very simply. I prefer to say that something is bad, but it's entertaining. And I make I have a slight mm. deviation from that. I think I prefer this way, which mm. is a small change, but I do think it's a matter of priority. I would prefer to call it entertaining but bad, <laughs> because I think if you put entertaining first, if you make a point that even though Tammy the T Rex is obviously not a high quality production it's obviously a very insipid story it's obviously like not trying to reach you on any kind of pure meaningful level Mm -hmm. uh first and foremost it is entertaining it is trying to entertain and it does succeed at being entertaining and i think more or less on its own merits it's not Mm -hmm. trying to entertain the way jurassic park is trying to entertain it is trying to entertain in a very goofy way and I, I think like, it is successful well, enough at that that to preface the that to foreground like oh it's so bad it's good it's like no I think this is just the good kind of bad I think this is just the kind of bad I, this is I the kind of the kind of ridiculous hmm. where again I I I'm not going to call it the best movie of the year or anything like that but I can appreciate it on its level that it's actually trying to achieve and I can only call that so bad. Uh, I, I suppose so, but here, here's my thinking. There's a much better version of Tammy and the T-Rex in the Is world. there? In my imagination, I have a good, big imagination, and yeah. I can imagine a better version of this. Uh, can, if, okay. If there it's an was, interesting use of your imagination, but all right. Everyone says, oh, you, you couldn't recast this part, or this, yeah. this movie is perfect the way it is. Well, imagine a little bit deeper. Maybe there's a version that's better. Well, I think we've, we've uh, seen that happen time and time again. Oh, you can't recast the Joker. Jack Nicholson was perfect. Yeah. Oh, you can't recast Joker. Cesar Romero was perfect. Yeah. Oh, you, you know, we... It, Constantly happening. Like again, I, I, so, uh, so let, I, I concede. Um, I concede the, idea, the basic premise, which is, of course, the movie could be better. The, okay, the, I, the idea that we can make a movie about yeah. uh, a dead teenager whose uh-huh. brain is transported into a, an animatronic robot. Uh-huh. The robot goes on a killing spree, but ends up falling in love and uh-huh. re- and is rescued by the power of love. That's the plot of Tammy and the T Rex. Basically, yes. If you had a lot of money and good dinosaur effects, mm-hmm. and a slicker script with better jokes, this could be a legit, good, weird kind of movie. Like, mm-hmm. not Jurassic Park level, but at least Earth Girls are easy. Uh, you, know? <laughs> you know, I can almost kind of see... At least I, Gremlins 2, you I know, can, something that's, uh, you know, I can actually t- has a big, slick special effect slapstick sensibility. I can kind of see this working in like a superhero comic book universe. There's mm. definitely like it's silly, but like the idea that like oh yeah, I, I found an alien rock and it turned me into a superhero who uses light as a weapon. Cool. Uh, mine turned me uh, into a stegosaurus, <laughs> and now I'm a stegosaurus. And mm. 
I still am a high schooler. I still have a crush on that person in my class. But I'm a But now I'm a dinosaur. And, yeah. like, there's an element of that where it's just sort of, it's like, it's, I want to, it's kind of cool, but so, mostly it's a pain in the ass. So it's, it's a, I, it's strange idea and over the top performances yeah. and gosh darn sincerity is taking Tammy and the T-Rex a long way. There is yeah. a, a bigger budget, sillier, better made version of this movie. Yeah. Which is why I can, I'm comfortable saying Tammy and the T-Rex kind of bad. There's okay. a, there's a way better. There were so many better ways to make this. Movie. Um, let me ask, okay. But a lot of your ways hmm. are prefaced on um, materials that were not available to them at the time. Like hmm. for example, money clearly didn't have a okay, lot of it. And that hurt the movie. And, 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 and it did. But my point is this. When you compare, like, okay, like, we only have the dinosaur for a couple of weeks. Well, we got to bang out a script pretty fucking quick, mm. don't we? Based on what they had to work with, yeah, I think it's... they came out with something pretty fun on its own merits. Mm. On Based on, they clearly knew no one's going to be able to take this seriously. Let's just have a lark. And people are enjoying it as a lark. And I think on that note, it's kind of hard to call this truly bad. <laughs> If you want to say that it's, it's incompetent and ridiculous, it's not sure, but, bad. It's it's merely incompetent and ridiculous. Yeah, and but I'm I don't. Okay but I, I don't. I think there are various levels of bad. But again, and I think this is not one of the one of the more serious levels of bad. I think but this again, is mildly bad. Entertaining, but, <laughs> exactly. Which is why I start with entertaining in a case like right. this. In a case like this, I start with entertaining because it is it's set out to entertain and it accomplished that goal, and it is also bad. Rather than it is genuinely bad, but I was able to get kind of something out of it. I think it's a slightly different mm. sort of uh, uh, mentality. But in any case, it maybe it's splitting hairs, but it's important to me. Um, anyway, that is it for Critically Reclaimed. Uh, thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you, everybody, for joining us. We hope you watched this movie, because you surely had an experience if you did. You if you haven't yet, it is currently on Shudder. Shudder is a really good streaming service. They have really, really uh, uh, excellent selection of horror, sci-fi, and cult stuff. Uh, so if that's at all your jam, totally worth checking out. Give it a try. They have a free trial, so at the very mm-hmm. least, you can do that. Um, next time on Critically Reclaimed, we are going to we're gonna we're gonna do a, a one eighty, and we're gonna look at some dramas on Amazon Prime. That is the films from the drama section. Yes, which has it's a little loosey goosey because when you think about drama, I think a lot of people think of just incredibly like plausible, you know, melodramatic scenarios. Uh, you know, not what you consider like a genre film. However, no movie is just one genre. Mm. Every, there's always at least a little overlap. Well, and, so and, it's and like every it, film yeah. is a drama. Every film, well, you could call in, it in the you, traditional you, theatrical sense. I suppose that's true if you consider drama more just the act of pretending things, but. In any case, uh, we're going with stuff in the drama section. These are movies that are mostly dramatic. Uh, and the options will be, in no particular order, Three Days of the Condor, the 1970s spy thriller starring Robert Redford. True Grit, this would be the original uh, western starring John Wayne. Whip It, the Drew Barrymore-directed film about roller derby starring Elliot Page. And Bugsy... The Mafia Crime movie, which was nominated for a bunch of Academy Awards and starred Robert, uh, not Robert, Warren Beatty as Bugsy Siegel. Uh, so 
either one or both of us hasn't seen any uh, hasn't seen one of those movies. Yeah, no matter which one you get. For them. So by the way, this is the one you hadn't seen. This is when you hadn't seen Tammy and the T-Rex, right? I, I had not. This was my first time seeing Tammy and the T-Rex. I never actually gotten to it. Worth it. Uh, it was pr- it was pretty fun. Okay. I, I was I was entertained. Um, I forgot there, to ask earlier. Yeah, there, uh, for a while there, uh, my wife mm. and I had a, a sort of a grab bag. We just sort of went through our streaming services and tried to find like the worst possible stuff, or ah. the, the weirdest films, just trying to you know find discoveries. Sure. Yeah. And we found you know a lot of a lot of crap. Uh, but yeah, occasionally we'd run aground on one. It's like, wait a minute, this is like an exploitation movie, but it's like a really good exploitation movie. Yeah. That's how we discovered Strip to Kill. If you haven't okay. seen Strip to Kill, that's a really good movie. Is that a Fulci film? No, it's a Corman flick. Oh, okay. Yeah. I think I'm going to fix something else. Okay. Um, well, in any case, uh, so yeah, awesome. Glad to hear it. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Um, so yeah, if you want to vote uh, for next time on Critically Reclaimed, head on over to patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network. Every patron, even at the $1 tier, gets to vote. So we're looking forward to seeing which film you pick. Really appreciate it. Big shout out to all of our patrons at every single tier. We would not exist without you. You mean the world to us. Thank you so much for everything that you do. If you can't afford to become a patron, uh, but you still want to help out, very easy to do. If you could leave us a review wherever you find us, and of course hit that subscribe button. That would really, really help a lot. Reviews help us like bump up an algorithm. It shows like engagement or whatever, and uh, whatever. It's the, the, the it does the, help us. Yeah, search engine optimization sucks, but in any case, uh, but yeah, it really, really helps a lot. And even if you just leave like a sentence, be honest. Uh, we would love to. That that would that would be great. But anyway, you can also follow us on Twitter at Critic Acclaim. I am at William Bibiani. I'm at Whitney Seibold. Uh, we also have uh, a letters podcast called We've Got Mail. If you want to talk about anything we discussed on this episode, uh, have you never used a payphone? Was our little uh, historical <laughs> retrospective of what it was like to use a payphone useful to you? For example, we'd love to hear from you or anything else you want to talk about. Our email address is letters at criticallyacclaimed.net. Whitney, hmm. we also have a P.O. box. What is That's that? Right. Well, uh, after you're done talking on the coin-op payphone, Ooh. you can write down an actual uh, paper missive, put it in an envelope, and mail it to the Critically Acclaimed Network, P.O. Box 641565, Los Angeles, California, 90064. If only you could still send a telegram wouldn't that be nice i, I remember like a, like t- like 10 years ago or something they announced that they they only just stopped doing that and i'm like you were still doing that i could have been sending telegrams this whole time the best way to do it um but in any case thank you everybody for listening thank you everybody for joining us and uh that's the end of this podcast <laughs>